Blog Talk Radio. Indeed, there is a war for our souls. I thank you, Lord Jesus, for this beautiful day. I thank you that you are God, that you are in control. And Father, we submit this time to you this and secure our position in this um, this slot, this radio slot, that the enemy cannot enter in to snatch, to confuse, to cut off or disrupt this broadcast, Father. I thank you for the blood of Jesus Christ that covers us each day with your goodness, your mercy. That your, work, that your goodness endures forever. Your mercy is new every morning. We thank you, Father God, for the topic today, that we are the persecuted church now. And I pray that you give us eyes to see, ears to hear, heart to realize the revelation of your love and truth, to be courageous, to not be afraid, and to walk in the fullness of what your word has called us to and what you have told us would happen, Lord Jesus, so that you'd give us guidance now. You are the faithful witness. I thank you for your promise that no weapon formed against us will prosper, that no word said, no deed done, no action taken by the enemy to stop, shut down, delay, hinder, obstruct, bring shame, hindrance, or reproach will will prevail because you are the mighty God. So we do this, Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, your Son. Amen. Welcome. Well, we're talking today, honey, about... uh, we're, we are the persecuted church. The persecuted church is us now. Well, a lot of times we think of the you know the persecuted church is over China, India, uh, Pakistan, Syria, Kenya, Nigeria, yeah. Nepal, uh, even Canada. Somewhere over there. Somewhere over there. That let's pray for the persecuted church, and and obviously. If one of us suffered, we're all suffering. I think we kind of define persecution as... We're one in the body of Christ. Yeah. We do have uh, an obligation, a privilege, to pray and stand with our brothers and sisters in Christ in other nations that are going through the most horrendous, horrific persecution, even as we speak today. Well, I think, though, we kind of uh, define persecution as someone who's being physically tortured, losing their life, bloodily murdered. Uh, you know, like in the early church, the persecutions there were horrific, uh, as they are today. But, you know, sometimes the persecutions that we go through every day are a little more subtle, and we don't see them necessarily as persecution, although the definition, definition of persecution is, um, is subjecting of a group of people to a cruel or unfair treatment because of their ethnic origin or their religious beliefs, for example. So it's, and it's also the suffering of the persecuted, being suffering, the, the, the suffering felt by those who are persecuted. So usually persecution um, denotes or, or includes a group of people who is being uh, targeted uh, by another group of people who don't like them or want to get rid of them, eliminate them, or somehow feel justified in um, destroying that group of people. I would like to extend the word persecution a little bit to be um, sometimes we're persecuted within ourselves by the enemy, the enemy who persecutes us as individuals as well in our in our lives to discourage us. Um, 
and to bring us down. So today, as we talk about persecution, I think we're going to we're going to cover a couple of of uh, biblical passages, uh, like what Je- Jesus was telling us. This is going to happen. Yeah. So you know, this is not come as a surprise to us. Jesus said uh, in John uh, fifteen eighteen. If the world hate you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you are of the world, the world would love its own. But because you are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. Mm-hmm. Remember the word that I said unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord. If they have persecuted me, they will also persecute you. Mm-hmm. If they have kept my saying, they will keep yours also. But all these things will they do unto you for my name's sake, because they know not him that sent me. And That's they, interesting. They know not him that sent mm-hmm, me. Mm-hmm. Jesus was persecuted because he, he, is, uh, he was being, um, there was doubt. There was, uh, people were wanting, who are you? Why are you here? What gives you a right to do this? They did not believe that he was who he said he was, the Son of God. Jesus in Matthew talks about the same thing. He says in 10, uh, 22, and, and you will be hated for all. I'm sorry, you will be hated by all for my name's sake, but he who endures to the end will be saved. So that hatred comes as a result of our relationship with Jesus Christ. It comes as a result of our believing the testimony, of the truth, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the word of God that was brought to us from heaven by him. We call it the gospel of Jesus Christ, the gospel of salvation. And the enemy does not want this world to be uh, contaminated with the truth or brought into the place where they can understand and be rescued from his evil, diabolical hold. It's interesting you look at that, you chose that word, uh, contamination. No, that's, that's you know, uh, the evil one thinks of truth as contamination. <laughs> and, and really, uh, we are officially, uh, I was looking at something on the internet a while back, and there was a, um, uh, a listing of the, uh, uh, by the, uh, I think it was National Department of Homeland Security, as to the most uh, threatening groups, mm-hmm. the groups that are considered the most dangerous, uh, dangerous mm-hmm. or enemies of the state, and one of those groups was evangelical Christians. Well, you know what, though, sweetheart, and and I agree, and I know, and they've got 72 people, 72 types of groups. Uh, We should not at all be surprised by that. Jesus told us about that 2,000 years ago, and it's bound to come, and it's been here the whole time, actually. Um, And he said, you know, this persecution will get specific. He said they will, uh, verse 25 of Matthew 10, he says, it is enough for a disciple to be like his teacher and a servant to be like his master. So if we're like Jesus, following Jesus, and he says, if they have called the master of the house Beelzebub, how much more will they call those of his household? So they were calling Jesus Beelzebub, saying he was casting out demons by the power of Beelzebub and that he was a wine-bibber and a glutton and a, and a sinner and um, had a demon. So is it any shock that we would be on some hate list somewhere out there, you know, some official hate list, if you will. Um, And he said, but Jesus said in verse 26, therefore do not fear them, for there is nothing covered that will not be revealed and nothing hidden that will not be made known. And this is exciting to me 
that all of the lies, the schemes, the conspiracies, the strategies, the diabolical plan within a plan, Hegelian dialectics, demonic stuff that the devil has done to the people of God, to the people of this earth, the innocent, that's all going to be exposed. And guess what? We will get to see that someday. All the sin, all the plots, all the treachery, all the hatred, all the secret thoughts will be revealed. And that's something to think about if you don't want to be exposed someday to all those, to that. You, you may want to think about getting right with God now, but therefore do not fear them. For he says, whatever I tell you in the dark, you speak in the light. And what you hear in the ear, preach on the house up. So he says, don't stop preaching. Don't stop talking. Don't stop being. Don't stop telling people about the truth because just because the other people are calling you names or not liking you. He said, they're not going to like you. And then he says, do not fear them who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. And I think a lot of our very brave and courageous brothers and sisters who are dying are doing that very thing. They're not afraid of what can happen to their bodies. Yeah, right. They would rather die than deny. That's Lord. good. And and so And he says rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. I mean, this is an eternal issue. This is a critical. This isn't just a you know, um, how am I going to spend my weekend and am I going to get to do what I want to do this weekend and am I going to be able to successfully climb a corporate ladder somewhere? This is destinies that are eternally set in heaven or hell. And so um, it's a pretty big issue. Um, but here's the problem. Why um, are those who follow Jesus persecuted? Well, we already answered that because we're following Jesus, because he was persecuted, because he was hated by all uh, the, the evil ones, well, the, the, the hatred. Jesus Christ went against the grain of this present evil world. He was a revolutionary who brought in the truth. Yeah, the truth. And he exposed the sinfulness of the people. Now, people don't want their sin exposed. Well, he exposed also, you know, the devil, who is the one who instigated the sin, the lie that caused the people to full, draw away from God, draw away from their divine nature, become saturated, programmed, controlled by the demonic nature programming of Satan in their souls. And so he came not only to expose sin, but to expose Satan. Mm-hmm. Because about exactly. a third of what he did was cast out demons and deal with the devil. Well, that's why people got uh, so miffed at him. I mean, they're trying to they're trying to kill him. They're trying to stone him. They're trying to throw him over a cliff. Well, that was people, but what was behind the people? Behind the people was, was, was the people's uh, openness to the Satan. devil, mm-hmm. and so Satan is really working through the people. So that's that's, that's right. what we have to see is that it's Satan working through people who are uh, lost, naive, who are naive, gullible, who are controlled, <laughs> yielding to him. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so so we see that there's the battle, and this is what you need to settle it, it settle it out to be. This is not a nice place. It's a very hostile planet. Yeah, there's some nice things on it. The trees are pretty. The grass is pretty. The flowers smell good. But it's a hostile planet. It's it's a it's a war zone wherever you go. Even if you're surfing on some wonderful white sanded beach somewhere, there's still a war going on constantly. Whether it's above you, around you, underneath you, and it's there. And we cannot live. We, God does not want us to live terrified, but he wants us to live aware that this is what's going on. And he says, they will know you are my disciples by the love you have for one another. At this point, that's a very foggy, uh, muted, vague uh, definition for most people. They don't know 
who's who in the body of Christ until actually persecution comes. Persecution is like the bright light that causes people to have to come out of the dark, come out of the closet, stand for what they believe, and be courageous. And well, Let me ask you, it talks about, they will know you are my disciples if you have love one for another, John thirteen thirty five. How has the definition of love even been perverted? Well, that's a very good point. Um, then a lot of people who are in the New Age paganism, uh, they're looking for that, that uh, I don't even know what it is, that uh, utopia, that love, that place of peace, that ultimate, uh, you know, whatever Shangri-La. it is, cosmic oneness with some conscious cosmic oneness with something or other, but I'm not sure if they know what they're connecting with. But they uh, allude to or present some sort of semblance of peace in their yoga and their meditation and their, you know, all of this stuff. But that is not the peace God is, the peace and the love that God is talking about is the peace and the love that can prevail against persecution, against resistance, because um, the love of God never fails. So it's not, a lo- love is not easy. Love is not when it's nice and it's going good for me. Love is when it's hard for me. I have to suffer to bear someone else's burdens um, and, and show them care, comfort, be there for them. Uh, love suffers. Love really does suffer. It's not a soft, wonderful, gushy, warm, peaceful feeling. Love suffers. It's actually... Um, a weapon. Love is a weapon to overcome fear and prevail against evil. One of the forms of persecution against the, the church, I would say the remnant, the true church of right. Jesus Christ today, is that you know if we do not embrace uh, the world system, homosexuality, for example, or the world and system, accept it and endorse it and promote it, then we're considered not loving. Well, let me explain here. You know, there's two issues here. And people, if you don't separate them out into being and behavior, the person and their behavior, if you don't separate them out, then you cannot resolve this issue with love. What has to be known with, I don't care what kind of sin, let's not just pick on the homosexuals. Let's pick on the gossipers. Let's pick on those who've been bitter against their own father, son, relative for 20 years and don't even remember anywhere why they're mad. Let's pick on sin in general. Behavior. Sin is a behavior. It is behavior that comes out of believing a lie. It is coming out of believing a lie that does not endorse or embrace the love of God. So when you're talking about any kind of sin, you're talking about someone who's believing a lie and you're also talking about behavior versus, versus the being. The being has a soul. That soul is being programmed, controlled, uh, deceived, operating out of and under the counsel of a program that operates from hell, out of lies, and causes behavior. So we look at the behavior and we freak out and forget that the person has a soul. Now, this would be like if I, a parent, I am a parent, and when I'd see my kids misbehaving, you know, when they were younger or when they were teenagers, if I see them this, and I focus on their behavior and I freak out and I blast them and I castigate them for what they chose to do that was bad, wrong, harmful, dangerous, unhealthy, whatever, and I forget that they have a sensitive little soul, they have a little heart, they have a little mind that's going to be crushed by my constant berating of their behavior, I will lose that child. That child will not anymore see me as a loving parent. I have got to say, honey, I love you so much that I have to tell you that that behavior is going to really hurt you. You know, so you're separating out what they do from who they are. 
And the same with anybody out there who's caught in any kind of sin, whether it's an addiction to drugs, chemicals, uh, whether it's uh, the way you decide to, to, you know, define yourself sexually. It's all about you have a soul. You have any, a soul that's going to live forever in heaven or hell. And most Christians do not know how to handle this properly. So I apologize for us because we are beating you up for a behavior. We don't even know. We don't even do this right in the, in the church. So, you know, don't feel bad. In the church, we beat people up too, or we kick them out, or we try to get the ushers to remove them if they're demonstrating anything that does, that kind of messes up our nice little uh, corporate pretty look, you know, so we're good and healthy and uh, just fine and have no problems, no sin, no trouble in our camp. We're just wonderful. Our club is good. You can join us. The membership's cheap, you know, and we don't really go into this idea of persecution. Well, a lot of times when, when you, you deal with a, a person, you're loving the person, you're not loving the behavior. Right. You have to keep the person in mind. But a lot of times what happens from that person when they, when they are... Uh, Rejected or pointed out? When, they're, when they are right, when you point out the truth to them and you stand for the truth, they don't like that. Well, that's right. For the most part. They'll get mad. Who and, does? And we get the backlash. Okay, but here's the deal. Who likes to be wrong? Who likes to be corrected? Who likes to have their sin pointed out to them anyway, and especially by another human being who also is flawed and sinful? Yeah, so if you're, you're living judging in a, me. You're judging me. Well, if you're living in a glass house, don't throw stones at someone else. Just you know, this, That's why the Lord says we have to love them. And that, means, that doesn't mean I, I have to condone or, or go along with or I, I, I bless you in your behavior. But what it means is that I have got to act you know, under the counsel of the Holy Spirit to do for you, to uh, abide, to bring truth, comfort, speaking the truth in love that may, they may grow up. And by the way, getting defensive is a natural, you know, human oh, sure. reaction. And so that's, we're not here to pick a fight. We're not here to point out their faults and say, you're, you're bad. We're just here to say, you made a, a wrong choice. Now, you're not, we're, we're good. We're made by God to be good, but we're not choosing things that is that are in align in 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 alignment with that goodness um and so we become angry and defensive mm -hmm. and when we become defensive it, it the whole subject matter changes mm -hmm. it's now not about anything it started out to be it's all about defending ourselves and justifying ourselves and proving that i'm right and driving us deeper into the very well driving that person deeper into the well that you are sent to rescue them and pull them out of so Consider how you respond and ask the Holy Spirit, if you're a believer, to give you wisdom on how to approach things that are evil and wrong in this world. Because the world's full of it. And you can spend all your time being mad at everybody uh, for everything they're doing and get you know, totally angry and upset and do nothing to accomplish nothing for right. God. And, and we, have to, we have to pick our battles. And what's, the, what's the real issue? The well, real, Jesus said be a follower. The real issue is that people are, are lost mm -hmm. without Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. They need to know the truth that will set them free. And Jesus gave us the mandate, well, go make disciples. Our deal is we need to just simply follow Jesus. We need to walk as he walked as his disciples through his word, we just need, don't worry about what people are saying about you or not liking you or or having, but really truly walk in his truth and love. Don't just you know irritate people and point out their faults and and be self righteous. That is not 
what Jesus did. He was not self-righteous. He didn't have an attitude. He didn't think he was better than the others. He, he walked around, rubbed shoulders, got dirty with them, you know, ate their food, uh, loved them, healed their always, and he never, ever had an attitude of superiority. Or, uh, though he was the Son of Man, the Son of God, you know, and he knew who he was, he carried himself, conducted himself truly in the demonstration of love. Yeah, he came to. He came as a servant. He came. Uh, he said to seek and to save that which was lost. Amen. And so, and that's why that's why we're here as well. So, well, you know, so the behavior, the, mm-hmm. the root is the uh, lie. You know, even it was. I, I'm not a big fan of Henry David Thoreau, but he made a statement that went something like this: that we spend all this time hacking, trying to hack off the branches of evil without getting to its root. Oh, that's interesting. He said that. I can't believe Thoreau said that, but he said that. So that's exactly Good it. Good observation. What's the, what's the root of all this? It's, we, can go, mm-hmm. we can get all dizzied by the, the, the fruit of evil, or, or we can mm-hmm. look at the root of it and not only look at the root of the evil, but what is, what is the cure? What is the key? Well, Jesus even went so far as to say that the, you know, in the parable of the wheat and the tares, that it was the evil one who sowed those tears yeah. in his in his good field. But let's go back to the world for a second. Um, you know, for us as believers, if we do not see ourselves as distinct from the world, you know, a lot of people, because of fear, we desire to fit into the world system. Uh, you know, uh, in it, we have to be in it, but we are not to be of it. But somehow we have to sort of, we think, compromise, go along with, blend in, so that we can avoid the the conflict or the persecution that we know will happen if we take a stand for Jesus Christ. It's not tolerance is is out there. Everybody is tolerated. Everything is tolerated except those who follow Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the absolute intolerance. There is no tolerance in the world system in the enemy's mind for the followers of Jesus Christ. Any remnant of his teaching, because Jesus Christ is his ultimate enemy. And he knows that Jesus Christ is the one he must defeat in order to finally uh, secure this world. However, Satan thinks that if he can take out the people of God, then he's got the world and, and the, the victory is won. And so, but we, you know, we act, um, you know, under a lot of us. I mean, under the fear of intimidation. I mean, some, sometimes it's wise, like you said, honey, to pick your battles. It's not necessary to aggravate everybody and it may be just picking up a little branch that's pointless and a waste of your time we need to, but we need to live inside ourselves truly as the followers of Jesus Christ and then it'll fall, it'll flow to the outside so it begins with an internal commitment to Jesus Christ and it's um you know I think the problem is that some people they just live with a mediocre gospel they live with um less of a cause than faith in Jesus Christ. They, you know, like a lot of people will die for things um, and it, it beliefs, ideologies. How many people died for communism? How many people died for Nazism? How many people died for um, as civil rights advocates? Not saying some of these things are good or bad, it's, but they died for them. That was their internal belief system. And maybe they believed that what they believed would bring peace and harmony and goodness and justice to the world. Maybe they really believe that. I don't know because that is between them and God. But I do know that Jesus said that we will be distinguished from others and we need to be 
by the love that we have for them. We talked about that. By the demonstration of our ability to forgive um, our enemies and bless those who curse us and spitefully use us because everybody is going to be attacked and offended and has everybody has opportunities to um, forgive. Everybody. That is a privilege you have to forgive those who who curse you and judge you and betray you. And the only way you're going to get justice truly is to forgive them because as long as you judge it, you're the judge and you have no power to bring justice. However, if you turn a crime that's committed against you over to the righteous judge, you have a good shot at justice. So that's what forgiveness is. It's releasing that person who's practiced witchcraft against you, who's bad-mouthed you, who's ripped you off, who's uh, told lies about you. Turn those crimes over to God. Let him judge it. And just the same with people who are losing their lives. Their lives are being ripped off, taken from them. That crime needs to be judged by the righteous judge. And believe you me, in Revelation, it talks about the souls of the saints, their blood, the martyrs under the altar. God is not unaware of what is going on out there. You know, if you want to read those passages. but Well, <clears throat> Jesus on the cross, uh, you know, one of the greatest, probably the greatest injustice ever, yet God was working through that mightily. The plan of God's perfect plan of redemption was fulfilled in the midst of the most gross in, in horrendous and horrific injustice. Ever, com- said, ever committed? Yes. And he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And, and even the martyr Stephen, I believe it's in Acts chapter 7, where mm-hmm. uh, he was stoned because he preached the gospel and they they did not like it. They were they were convinced, convicted of their sin. They were uh, angry, uh, reli- very mm-hmm. religious, mm-hmm. very angry, very convicted. They didn't like the message. They didn't want the truth. So they said, well, let's kill the messenger. And as they were killing the messenger, Stephen said, lay not the sin to their charge. So well, there, was, there was forgiveness there uh, at that point of great suffering. And, and well, here's the deal. Death for if, if Jesus hanging on the cross wouldn't have said, Father, forgive them, I don't know what would have happened to us. Because it was his prayer and his right to pray the prayer. All of the crimes, all of the sins of the human race Every injustice, every kidnapped child, every abducted young person, every uh, human sacrifice, every sin was he took, absorbed those sins. He became a curse for us. And he was the one, because of that willingness to love us that much, he was the only one who had the right to say, Father, forgive them, you know, because he was the one that we had all sinned against. And so if he wouldn't have said that, I don't know if we would have had any chance at all. And for those who are will reject that sacrifice, that provision, who will reject him as the Savior, the the judgment, the justice, the perfect justice of God will be fulfilled. Mm-hmm. Uh, it will be fulfilled at the you know great white throne judgment. Mm-hmm. It will be fulfilled perfectly. You know we don't see it now. Right. There is basically uh, very little. Time left. Justice. Well, yeah, but there's very little justice in mm-hmm. our world. None, there's probably. more and more and more injustice. Mm-hmm. And sometimes people say, well, Lord, you know, how can you allow mm-hmm. all this injustice to multiply over and over again and so many people to be uh, deceived 
by all this injustice and hurt and, by it and, and hurt and destroyed by the demonic programming in the minds and hearts of people from uh, politicians to pop well and we asked the question how can you god permit this and actually we're being tempted at that point as job would have been tempted how can you let this happen to me but he didn't say that because he knew bitter he did not allow bitterness to take over his life but we at that point are being tempted to judge god in his righteousness because of these things that are going on but we have to remember that these things are going on because we have disobeyed god because we have become idolatrous we've been filled with witchcraft rebellion sought to do things our way we've turned away from god in his word and in turning away from god in his words which he said if you keep following me there's a blessing but if you turn away there's not so now we're mad at god because we disobeyed him and he doesn't come to rescue us um, and uh, allows us to reap the fruit of that disobedience. And I'm not saying everybody's done that. Obviously, the babies who are born in this world haven't had a chance to vote yet on anything, whether it's, you know, their little decisions to whatever. But we have no right to judge God in this. God has been perfectly righteous in all of these things. And so to become bitter and angry against God and perceive that he is wicked is a lie. And it's a temptation for you to believe that lie and become bitter and hold on to that grudge and that bitterness. And how's that going to help you? Um, but so we can be offended by God. And that in itself is a way Satan uses to create a resistance to us in our relationship with God and keep us from truly surrendering to the Holy Spirit, to the life of God. It's interesting, too. And if you read through the Psalms, and you read through uh, the prophet, for example, the prophet Jeremiah, they struggle with that issue because there, there were a lot of those psalms are actually written as songs about the oppression of the enemy, mm-hmm. the injustice, the betrayal of friends, the uh, treachery of mm-hmm. others coming against the righteous, and it's like the the struggle there. One of the great questions that's asked in the psalms and other places is in the Old Testament in particular, is, Lord, how long? Mm-hmm. How long will you allow the enemy to prosper in destroying the, the righteous? Mm-hmm. And so there is that temptation uh, to say, God, what, you know, how can you not doing something, doing something <laughs> about this? But Well, the temptation is a temptation. And notice with the psalmist, with Jeremiah, even Jeremiah says, if I shut up my mouth and don't speak anymore for God, it's going to be a fire burning in my bones. I can't. I have to speak. I have to. David said, I will praise the Lord. And so they overcame the temptation to be mad at God, to blame it on God by choosing to trust him. And the trust came when it looked like it, you know, like it wasn't. Uh, something that was concrete. You just trust God because God is good, because God said he will never leave us or forsake us. But a lot of us, our relationship with God has been tampered by this very question. So we're not eligible for persecution yet because we're not even in the fight yet. We're still hanging on the edges, wondering whose side we're on, if we indeed even think there's a side, because most of us either believe God doesn't exist or the devil doesn't exist or neither one of them exists, and I'm just here to do my thing and so uh, the only I, everybody is my enemy, and it's me against everybody. So whatever you think, it's not maybe correct. And if you don't have a right premise, you're not going to end up understanding the argument or the battle 
or anything. So this is understanding that there's a war going on between God and Satan. There's always been a war going on. The war even was before the world began. There was a war that had taken place. And now that was the war of, you know, Michael and, and Satan, Lucifer being kicked out of heaven. And so now we see the battle has just dropped down to the planet Earth. Um, so, it, you know, for for each of us, we can't look at what other people are doing or not doing, what your preacher is saying or not saying, what the Bible study is instructing, what's your cult group, whatever. is It's between you and God, between you and the Lord himself, because nobody's going to go to hell for you. Nobody's going to take your place and go to hell for you or go to heaven for you. You are going to have to stand before God someday yourself and give an account for what you've done and said. And, of course, you won't say much because the Lord already know everything. And it will just be already recorded. Your name is either in or out of the book of life. And you get that name, your name, in the book of life now, not then. It's, 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 now is your chance. But So I tell you, let's go back to who's persecuted and what about, you know, um, why do people not stand up for Jesus? I think being, first of all, we have to have that surrendered life. You have to have that total 100% belief that God is real that God is good, that God is going to judge the world. And we're not doing this because we're afraid of going to hell. We're doing this really because we have surrendered to him and trust his love. We see that God is the good one in this battle, and he is the only one that can help us. He's out for our good. He really, he's jealous over us. Like you, if you're a good parent, you're jealous over your child. You want them to have the best. You want them to have and to the point where we actually spoil them. But God doesn't necessarily spoil us, but he wants us to uh, enjoy the gifts, the talents, the success, the abilities that he's given us. He wants us to know him, and in knowing him, we get to know who we are. This is his desire for us. It's completion. It's it's fullness. It's satisfaction. It's glory. And Jesus said, actually, today I'm going to be glorified, and that was the day he was talking about in John 12, where today I'm going to die, basically. He says, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abides alone. And so he only talked about that in John, right before he's going to die, John chapter 12, he said it this way. He said, the hour has come, he says. Jesus answered and said to them, saying, the hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Now this is right before he goes to the cross. And verse 24, most assuredly I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. He who loves his life will lose it, and he who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, let him follow me. And where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, him my father will honor. So the glory begins, the process to be glorified and honored begins with death. And whether it's a death to self, a death to your own opinions, a death to your uh, carnal desires, or as Jesus was saying, he who seeks to save his life. And so many of us are trying right now to, to save our life. Or we know something bad's about to happen. We've got dates and months and times and end of the year and blah, blah, blah. And everybody's scurrying, scampering. Either they're dulling their, mind, their minds down, dulling their emotions. They don't want to know about it. They don't want to talk about it. They want to stay steeped in their entertainments and their this and that, or they're actually trying to save their life somehow. I believe those who are going to save their life are those who are going to let go of their life and let the Lord keep it for them. Because we have learned here in this country to live in some sort of level of 
lifestyle of comfort that we have a nest, so to speak, that we put around ourselves that we can kind of maintain uh, control situations. We keep ourselves pretty stuffed with entertainments and amusements and indulgent activities. And, and that all dumbs us down, reduces, or we medicate. We do drugs, street drugs, or uh, over-the-counter drugs that shut us down so that we don't feel things. And our life, ultimately, the goal of most people's lives is to protect their life, and it's all about them. Jesus said, no, that's the opposite of what it needs to be. If you want to save your life, you need to let go of it. It needs to be all about him, all about others, all about heaven's agenda. Really, it's heaven's agenda, but I think from what I see of most Christians, we are so self-absorbed. Our problems, our struggles, our our uh, our issues that are are we're tying ourselves in knots, um, and, and so we're not really free. Uh, we're we're so we got our own inertia. Uh, yeah, we're, we're, it's called we're caught up on our own inertia, <clears throat> and so and that's the the way the devil just loves to have it. Well, I think we're... so. We we become ineffective, and then we don't we don't have really courage to deal with our own personal issues. How then will we have the courage well, to declare Christ to those that are maybe hostile toward I, You know, when you're saying we don't have the courage to deal with our own uh, personal issues and the inertia, really, truly, I think people are dead tired trying to fix themselves, improve themselves. If you've got some bent towards righteousness, trying to religiously doctor yourself up, bolster yourself up, brace yourself up to be good and holy and blah, blah, blah. Well, where's you out? And and because that's the wrong gospel, because the gospel is really about letting the Holy Spirit do that work in you, and you simply follow, you simply yield to it. You allow the Lord God to direct you, and it takes the burden off. Jesus said, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. So many people are carrying the burden of their own life, their own righteousness, their own safety, trying to keep themselves from getting in trouble. And so... That becomes our pursuit. And that is, again, all about me. That is all about me being good. That's all about my life. That's all about the wrong. And so people are not used to this this resting, abiding, being okay in God. They're not, we're not used to surrendering because we're, we're, we want to survive. But the Lord says to survive, you need to surrender. For that corn of wheat, a grain of, of wheat, to, to uh, abide, to continue on, it must be willing. It has to be willing, and someone has to be willing to put it in the ground where it dies. It changes. It lets go of its life. It takes on a new form. It becomes glorified, so to speak. It starts the life cycle over again. It gives up its 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 essence, um, as you would see it, the seed. It gives up that, that look, that appearance, that essence, that identity, as it's put into that situation called death. Well, death is darkness. Death begins to eat away at it. Take take out the shell. Remove, take remove, uh, uh, deform, transform that grain of wheat into a stalk, a plant that will bring forth a hundred grains of wheat or a thousand grains of 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 corn or whatever kernels of corn. And so Jesus is saying, this is the process of life. And so, if we are afraid to allow our life to be um, hidden with Christ in God, uh, we're afraid to lose our life, then you won't keep your life. Well, like what he said, and what we're talking about here is Matthew 16, 24, 
through 27. And Jesus said unto his disciples, If any man come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, mm-hmm. and follow me. Now, that's not a popular message. That does not make you uh, popular. Well, that's not the world system. That's right. not the one world that's order message. World, so that's that's, 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 con- that's this is God's to the world God's kingdom. And, yeah, the, the Satan's kingdom. Whosoever will save his life shall lose it, and whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. For what is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? But what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man shall come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and then shall he reward every man according to his work. Now the reward for the faithful in Christ Jesus, some of them come now, maybe a little uh, a puny amount of reward comes now. Well, compared to what we're going to get, yeah. What is going to come. But we're rewarded now with peace, joy, uh, freedom from anxiety, um, wisdom yeah. to know what to do. We don't have to be confused or doubtful. Or doubtful. These are great rewards and essential for this day that we live in. And, you know, let's look at Jesus in John chapter 10. Um, it says in uh, verse, he's talking about, um, he's already, he's in an altercation again uh, with the disciples and um, he was in the temple and the Jews in verse 24, 10, 24 of John. Then the Jews surrounded him and said to him, how long do you keep us in doubt? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Isn't that an interesting question? They're blaming Jesus for their doubt. They're blaming Jesus for keeping them in doubt or uh, being indecisive, not sure, sure, certain that he is who he says he is. So why do people not stand up for Jesus? Because, number one, because of doubt. Um, we doubt that Jesus really is who he says he is. We doubt the word or we don't know the word. Probably we don't know the word because we haven't read the word, because we haven't been taught to read the word, because we don't really believe the word is all that big of a deal. It's an option. No, it's not. Eating, if you have a health, if you have a body, a human physical body, eating is not an option. You know, your option is what kind of food you're going to eat, but you have to eat. And if you're a believer, reading the Word of God is not an option. It's not a, something you do when everything else is done. It's something you do at the top of the day or at the beginning of the course, not at the end. You need to put the gas in the tank on the, you know, as you're about to go on a journey. You need the Word of God. We need to read it. So why do people not stand up? Because we doubt that Jesus is who he says he is. He says, I'm your redeemer. I've come to rescue you. I am the son of God, the king of kings, and the eternal judge. We do not believe those things with enough conviction to act with any urgency or with a single-minded purpose to do the will of God, to lay hold of eternal life through the spirit that has laid hold of us. We don't think it's that big of a deal. It's an option. So a lot of people really don't believe what they say to believe. A lot of believers. A lot of believers don't believe really believe what they say they believe. No, they really don't. Because yeah. they so and if, then the second you, yeah, pro- if you believe, for example, uh, you know, that we're in this warfare, if you believe that um which a lot of people don't really Well we get that, but we're yeah. trying to help people to understand that. Right. But you see, if, 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 if you don't believe people are lost mm-hmm. without Christ heading for hell, you know, if you don't believe you're don't, lost without Christ and heading for hell, yeah. you're not going to make any drastic changes you in your really life. Believe that you, your your life is going to be a and, flame. You know, faith in Jesus, and love of God. 
Faith in Jesus Christ, you know, is like sitting down on a chair. Okay. Usually when people sit down on a chair, they, are, they don't even think about it. They just, they sit down. They expect that chair to be there, that chair to hold them, that chair not to crash down underneath them. So they, they have chair faith. They have more faith in the chair than they have in God. Because when you believe God, it's like you lay down on God. You sit down on God. You rest in God. You let God carry you. You say, well, oh, God's got bigger things to do than that. I've heard that so many You know what? You are the big thing God has to do. You are the only thing God has to do in his mind. And there's many of us. And he's got a mind that can contain all of us at the same time. But why do we have more faith in my, our beds, our chairs, our cars, you know, the floor we walk on, than we do in the Almighty God? Because God is said, I will never leave you or forsake you. So that confidence in who he said he is, knowing, okay, knowing that we know. A lot of us know Jesus loves us, but we don't know that we know that because we're always trying to judge our relationship with God based on our feelings. My feelings go up and down and up and down. Is it hot? Is it cold? Is my blood pressure right? Is my blood sugar right? My feelings are so tied into every little thing that I cannot use my feelings. If I feel God loves me today, I feel like Jesus, I feel close to God today. That is not, that's, that's bogus. That is, yes, there is love. There is, a, there is God gives us a, a sense of his presence, warmth, closeness, blah, blah, blah. But not always. But I need to know because his word says he loves me, that I know that he does, and he doesn't change his mind, and he doesn't lie. So it doesn't matter what the devil is doing to manipulate my feelings today or my mind today, because my soul does not give me an accurate reading on my spiritual position and condition. It is my spirit that bears with, his spirit that bears witness with my spirit that gives me a good reading on who I am and where I am. So now the second verse he says in 25, he says, Jesus answered and said to them, I told you, and you do not believe the works that I do in my father's um, the works that I do in my father's name. They bear witness of me, but you do not believe because you are not of my sheep. As I said, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Uh, and I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. I don't fa- care how how much you feel disconnected and snatched out of the hand of God, if you've accepted Jesus Christ, he's committed to you. He's committed to keep you because he knew the devil would try many, many times to snatch you out of his hand. He's made that verbal commitment to us that he's going to keep us. But you can be kept in his hand with great power and authority and have a full, satisfied life, or you can be kept in that hand with an anxious uh, intrepidation your whole life. You can know what God says is true. He says, you don't believe me. We don't believe the works. When today, the problem is, we see a lot of, lot of lying signs and false wonders, and those are, you know, there to confuse us with the genuine works of God. Because the evil one is good at impersonating the voice of God in the church to those who are hungry for the voice of God and corrupting us with all kinds of counterfeit signs and lying wonders and teaching a number of gospels, the prosperity gospel, the perverted gospels of under, perverted grace, uh, understanding of grace, all kinds of ways the devil has tried to destroy the gospel by just simply uh, counterfeiting it and and corrupting it. So is uh, so really there, there has to be the conviction. Uh, you know, Second Timothy chapter three, uh, Paul uh, writes here. He talks about. 
Yea, all those who live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. persecution. So, so uh, there must be a lack of godliness if we're not suffering the persecution. Um, all those who belong to Jesus, in other words, will suffer persecution mm-hmm, if you mm-hmm. belong to him. So if there is, because we, we are, like you said, we are living in an increasingly hostile world mm-hmm. toward the gospel, toward the truth, toward Jesus Christ, toward those who are truly Christians. So The hostility is ramping up like crazy even as we speak, right? Yeah, and you know that's going to happen, and that was, I mean, if you read the book, you know that's going to happen. It's like, it's like this is even one of the signs of Jesus' soon return. But number, so Jesus said, for first problem, is that we don't believe. We don't believe who he says he is. And the second problem is, with this persecution thing, is we're afraid, um, we're hesitant, um, because we don't know who we are. We don't know that... Um, we don't know God. We don't know who we are in God. So that lack of identity uh, and, and conviction, uh, knowing, see, the people who are going to know their God, it says in Daniel, those are the ones who are going to do exploits. The rest of them, I don't know. And the only way we can do the exploits is through the Holy Spirit. It's not me getting brave and being a, you know, a, we see all these movies about all these heroes and these brave heart movies, and that's one of my favorites. But you don't, it's not me psyching myself up to be some superhero. As a matter of fact, it's the most unlikely people that become the bravest in these persecutions. It's the little children. It's the old women. It's the you know ones you never expect to be. So maybe they're overcome, but they're given the grace and strength to do what they need to do. The, the third thing that keeps us from entering into the confidence is feeling unloved, cut off, estranged because of our sin, because of guilt and condemnation. Um, so um, we walk away from God's love because we are still trying to earn it. And so because of doubt, because of identity, and because of guilt, we feel unworthy, not good enough. And stop it. Just stop thinking about not being good enough or worthy of this or that. By definition, love cannot be earned in the first place because God's love is unconditional. There are no conditions. It's given as a gift. It's given freely. So don't waste your time trying to earn something that cannot even be earned because by definition, it's already been given to you. So don't waste your time getting confused about being worthy or unworthy of love. You are loved because God is love and he cannot not love you. And he cares about us. Everyone that he has created, he cares about and so don't make yourself an exception and think that somehow you have to earn God's love or make God happy. God is already very happy with you. He loves you. He's not happy with what you're believing and what the devil is doing to corrupt you and separate you from him. That makes God very unhappy. Why? Because he loves you. You know the same thing would happen to you if you have a child. If that child is being deceived into believing that you, parent, don't love them because you don't give them everything that somebody else down the block gets, that you're mean and cruel and Whatnot, and you do love them, and they're being uh, brainwashed, deceived by someone who doesn't know them, doesn't love them, is trying to exploit them, and you can't tell them that because they don't believe you love them. How frustrating would that be for you as a parent? Well, how do you suppose God feels about all this? So, um, because it goes, you know, back to love or fear. You know, which one are you going to motivate, be motivated by? Because there's only two forces in the world, really, love and fear. The devil operates out of fear. God operates out of love. So who's going to be your master? That's the question. And, you know, I was thinking um, about this. This may sound really off the subject, but about making bread, making bread. 
for those of you who've ever made bread, unless you make a flat bread, you have to have a little leaven, which we call yeast. And when you put that yeast, which is a living culture, a living organism, you put that in that dough, that lump of flour and water and sugar and whatever else you want to put in there, um, you put that living culture in that lump, that living culture begins to, to affect the whole lump. Jesus said a little leaven leavens the whole lump. The lump is vulnerable then to the yeast and to the influence of the yeast in that system. And when the devil puts a little leaven in the lump of your life or the lump of the world, that evil leaven can affect the whole system. And in the same with good. You put a little good and that can affect the system as well. Um, so the yeast needs to, in, in this case, the, God, the kingdom of God needs to grow and, allow, and, 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 and expand um, so that it becomes able to be made into bread to feed the hungry. That's why Jesus, I think, used the parable of the, the leaven. Uh, and, and I know we say leaven is an evil you know, um, uh, type or symbol or whatever in the Bible, but it can be also true that the kingdom of God has been um, put into this world to bring forth good things, to affect change in a positive way. And, but so many of us, we are very confused in all of this. And I think for most, and this is us thinking, but it's really I know this, that it, we've let our lives, ourselves, just kind of drift downstream, um, letting the currents of change, political, emotional, psychological, trends, changes, fads, compromise us. And, you know, we've allowed the clever arguments of the politicians to persuade us to choose to follow a different lifestyle than the one the gospel of Jesus Christ sets out. Mm-hmm. Well, it's like uh, one of our old mentors used to say, any old dead fish can float downstream. <laughs> it takes a real live one to swim against the current. Yeah. And so we are the, we are going against the current of this world. Because sure. we are not of this world. We are not of this world. Yeah. And we are not under... Uh, we are in in the world, Jesus said, but not of it. Mm-hmm. We're here to be. We're the light of the world, we're the salt of the earth. Now, light has to be placed, Jesus said in the parable, on a lampstand. Mm-hmm. It has to be not in under a bed. space, not under a bed or under a basket. The salt has to have its distinctive quality. You want the salt for its distinctive quality, and to, it brings out the to flavor. Preserve, to bring out the mm-hmm. flavor, but. Back in those days, there were impurities in the salt. That it wasn't just pure salt. It was salt with some other stuff in it. And then what had to happen was uh, if it, the, there would be a chemical reaction, so the salt will lose its savor, its flavor, its saltness. Mm-hmm. So then it was no good to be thrown out, and, and, but just, just throw it out. So we have to keep our distinctiveness as light yes, and salt exactly. in this world. So the lifestyle of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the followers of the gospel of Jesus or Jesus, um, is not one of uh, is a lifestyle of not uh, external pleasure or self-seeking or indulgence, but diligent, deliberate desire to conform to the precepts of God as clearly given out in the Word of God. So it's a diligent uh, seeking, pursuing, and this is good. It's good for us. It. It declares our love and it also strengthens us in that. So don't be afraid to be radical and sold out for God because it means 
uh, it means change. It may mean giving up the security of indulging and dulling down our senses, getting involved, and and it may mean giving up false comforts of this temper, the, the temporary distractions, entertainments, the trivia of this world that block the receptor sites for the glory of God and the truth of His glory. So being persecuted for righteousness' sake is the mark and the um, privilege of the true believers in Jesus Christ. And, you know, that's not something we should shun or, or, or avoid. It's something, and we're not here to call it upon us, but we're here to walk in Christ Jesus and let him do his will through us. There's a gentleman, uh, a brother in Christ named Michael Snyder, who writes a, a blog, and uh, he's an author and really a kind of a watchman on the wall uh, spiritually. just want to quote a couple of things that he said here. He said, if Christians stay in their homes and don't say anything, normally they don't get physically persecuted in this country. But he said, in the years ahead, hatred toward Christians is going to continue to increase, and many believers are going to be faced with extremely difficult choices like, uh, I'm going to follow Jesus or I'm going to lose my job. I'm going to follow Jesus or I'm going to lose my life. But then he brings out a positive side to this. He says, just like we saw during the times of the early church, sometimes the fires of persecution provide the perfect fuel for the growth of the kingdom of God. And sometimes the persecutors end up becoming extremely radical believers themselves. For example, Saul of Tarsus, who became the Apostle Paul. Amen. And so let's close with a bit of a prayer here. Uh, Lord God, we pray that you would cause us, give us grace and courage to not um, seek to save our life, but to give it to you, to allow it to be lost in your purposes, that you will bring it forth to eternal salvation. And Lord, even though this is contrary, totally contrary to our modern urban living and thinking and the global agenda and the new age and and that's baiting us with all kinds of lies and moral freedoms to be selfish and give us a license to legalize lust and perversion and, and destroy the human life, let us choose life. Let us not end up in the frying pan of slaughter, but in the purposes of the kingdom of God to bring forth glory for you, Lord Jesus. I pray for each one listening today that you give them great courage, Father God, that we will uh, save our life by losing it and giving it to you. And may each one here today ask for your wisdom, your counsel, and your comfort, that your righteousness will live and, and abide in us and through us and that we will make no excuses, Lord God. We will follow you. Amen. Help us, Lord, to live as bright lights and salty salt, no matter what the cost. Amen. In Jesus' name. God bless you guys. We'll join with you again next week. So have an awesome week. In Jesus' name, amen. I have an emergency. What is your location? Because there's a war for your soul.